This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids. My hope is that each week you'll find at least one thing you can take away and use and apply in your everyday life. Today you're listening to episode 20 and I have Zoe Hoffman on the show. Zoe is the founder and owner of Hoffman Tutoring Group. They change the lives of K through eight students and families by providing excellent personalized online tutoring services. This is a topic I think that we all could learn a little bit about, especially in this past year that we've all endured. So many of us facilitating virtual school from home with our kids. I had a lot of questions for Zoe. I think that I talked way too much in this episode, if I'm being honest, but clearly uh, there was a lot on my mind and heart in regards to the topic of schooling and tutoring with kids. And I think that's clear uh, that that was because I've been home with kids virtual learning quite a bit over the past year. Zoe lays out some really great tips and ideas for goal setting with our kids. And she also gives some tips and ideas for how to help our kids with homework without getting too stressed out and overwhelmed. Zoe is a new mom herself. She has seven month old twins. So we get to hear a little bit about that experience, walking through pregnancy and giving birth to twins right smack dab in the middle of a pandemic. If you want to learn more about Zoe's tutoring services, you can find her on Instagram, hoffman.tutoring.group. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review if you are loving this podcast. Share it with your friends. That is a huge help in new listeners finding us. I hope you get as much out of this conversation with Zoe as I did. Enjoy my conversation with Zoe Hoffman. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Zoe Hoffman on the show. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, One of the things we're going to talk about today is goal setting, which I'm super passionate about. I want to learn how to implement this with my kids. But Zoe, you are the mom of twins and you have a tutoring company. Tell us a little bit about your passion for your work and how you got into that. Why Why are you excited to pursue this kind of work? Yeah. So going through school, um, academics were really hard for me, especially in elementary school and middle school. Like it just did not click um, the way that it did for a lot of other kids. And eventually like early high school, I finally figured out how I learned and kind of learned how to teach myself some things um, and ended up being able to raise my grades and kind of go on to do what I wanted to do, which was to become a teacher because I realized that, you know, different people need to be taught in different ways. So um, I got my degree in education um, at Texas A&M University and I wanted to be a teacher, but unfortunately, or fortunately, really, it was very fortunate, I met my husband and he was joining the Air Force. So moving around that often doesn't really lend itself to getting a lot of 
teaching jobs because you're moving so often and it's not always lined up with the school year. Um, so I started tutoring and I quickly realized that that was exactly where I needed to be because having that passion for teaching kids in the way that worked for them, um, was going to be really easy when I was working one-on-one with kids. So I fell in love with tutoring and I did that for a long time. And then I eventually realized that maybe I wasn't always the best person to Mm. give that kid what they needed. So I started to expand my company. Um, We turned into Hoffman Tutoring Group and I started to invite on like the best educators that I could find to provide tutoring services to kids online. Um, And this was way before COVID. um, And then now everybody's learning how to learn online. Um, So we've been doing this for a little bit and we really love just like getting to connect with kids and help them learn um, in the way that they need to learn for themselves. Um, And then also my other part of my job that I'm really passionate about is um, getting on social media and talking to parents about how to help their kid get the best education that they can. Wow. I love that you thought that through. I mean, obviously, if you want to expand your business, you have to bring on more tutors. But just like you had this unique way of needing to learn for yourself when you were growing up. It's like not every teacher or tutor is going to be the exact right fit. Just like not every therapist is going to be the exact right fit, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like I cannot be the best person for everybody, even though I wish I was. I know. I know. (laughs) I was listening to an interview with a therapist over on our um, one of the other podcasts in my network, the Illuminate podcast, and it was with a therapist. And that's kind of what he was saying. He was like, I would love to be able to be the perfect right therapist for everybody that walks in my door, but that's just not always going to happen. So it's really important to be able to kind of give it up and say, it's not, I'm not, we're not right for each other. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. uh, Tell me about your twins. So I have, um, twins. I have a girl named Lila and a boy named Miles and they're seven months old. They are my first children. (laughs) So I'm a new time mom, a new mom to twins, which has been a wild ride. Pandemic twins too. Pandemic twins. And I moved across the country when I was 27 weeks pregnant with them. Oh my gosh. Um, and then, you know, obviously had them and all the pandemic stuff that goes along with that. It was very interesting. Wow. So where did you move from and where are you now? So we were in Boise, Idaho, okay. um, which is gorgeous. And we want to get back there as soon as possible. <laughs> um, and then we moved to North Carolina. We moved um, to the suburbs of Raleigh. Okay. I Fortunately, I got to fly on an airplane with my cat, but I had, I got to fly and my husband drove all of our stuff. Oh, and this was, this is while you're 27 weeks pregnant. Okay. Yes. Yeah, nice. Because I looked like I was about to give birth. You know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Wow. Talk about, you know, it's like the pandemic has been, 2020 has been hard for so many reasons, but I, you know, they say like having a baby, getting married. I don't know what, what are the, the, they, there are these like what are the three the stressor? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Having a baby moving and buying a house or something? Yeah. I think there's a few of them like, and like buying a house. Mo- yeah. Moving, having a baby, getting married, big life events. And you moved, you had not one baby, but two. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and there was a pandemic. How I'm curious, this is off topic about 
of the subject we're going to talk about today, but I'm curious, how did you handle that? Like, how did you, what month were they born and how did you handle walking through the pandemic being super pregnant? Um, so they were born in June. Okay. Um, and so I was, you know, I was pregnant, pretty pregnant when the pandemic started mm-hmm. and it was a little easy at first cause I could just stay at home. Yeah. Um, and since we do a lot of online tutor, you know, I was doing mostly online tutoring, like I was working and, um, that was fine. The moving was difficult. It was stressful trying to get on the plane. Um, like thinking about the risk of COVID and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, and I kind of just during that period of time, like adopted a mindset of like, just do the next thing, mm. do the next thing. Like the next thing in front of you is just, like the one thing you need to worry about. Um, and so we, you know, had to deal with deciding what to do about visitors, um, but we needed the help. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of learning how to do that risk assessment mm-hmm. um, of, you know, I can't do this by myself. Like that's impossible, um, but it's risky to have visitors. Um, so we did the best that we could. And I think a lot of it now I'm looking back on it and processing it a little bit more Um because it was just, yeah, like having babies during a pandemic is an interesting, an interesting thing. It's so wild. My husband and I were talking about it the other day, like what, how this will affect our kids long term, like the way they view the world, because our oldest is eight and our, our youngest is two. So like our two and our four year old, yeah, they're not going to remember this, ho- hopefully, um, right. you know, like hopefully it's, it's going to be done soon-ish um, enough that the two and the four-year-old won't, but our, our six and our eight-year-old, especially our eight-year-old, like this is going to totally change the way he looks at so many things because it's just insane. I can't imagine, I can't imagine living through this as a child, you know? I can't either. And just to realize at that young age, how unpredictable life is, yeah. I think can be really hard. And I, I um, was about eight maybe a little bit older when, um, nine 11 happened mm. and that, you know, you think about that and how that kind of made everybody realize like, wow, you really just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm interested to see how kids, but kids are so resilient. Yeah. So I think some good things will come out of it too. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk just a little bit about newborn twin life. You're my first twin mom on the show. Yeah. So How's that been? It's been interesting. It, I mean, having two babies is so fun. Um, oh, I can't imagine. I think of my little guys all the time, and I'm like, what if there were two of you? I'd be so hard, but it'd be so cute. It was very cute. <laughs> they were so very tiny when they were born. They were just like miniature babies. And so that was fun, like getting double the snuggles. Um, but it was super stressful because you have two babies that are crying, like all the sleep stuff. It's like multiplied by two. So, and they're preemies, um, they were born like a month early. So, um, all of that was really hard. Um, we like did some things to try to like set ourselves up for success. Like we got on the routine right away Mm -hmm. and like the sleeping stuff, um, you know, bottles and all of that. Um, and now it's starting to pay off. Um, and then also like, they're just, they love each other now. Mm. So they're seven months. So now they get to like play together and they entertain each other, which I think is a huge benefit to having twins. Oh, yeah. I don't have to entertain them all the time. Um, except for we've now learned how to bite each other, which is, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's twin life is crazy, but 
since I'm a first time mom, I don't really know what anything else is like. Um, and I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. I've wondered, <laughs> I think I've heard people say that cause then you don't know anything. And now if you have a, if you have another baby ever, you're going to be like, okay, there's just one of you. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, this is easy. All oh. right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I truly can't imagine doing newborn life, especially the first time with two babies, because I, I've said this before on this podcast. I think that, you know, going from zero to one has been the hardest like physical and emotional transition for me personally. So to have two little babies to care for that first time. Yeah, it was a huge transition to go from having no kids to two kids. And uh, for the first few months, I was just in survival mode. Like you just, I'm like, I have to do whatever I need to do to take care of these babies. Um, And so now I'm kind of starting to process a lot of that, those emotions from, from when they were first born. Um, and you know, it was hard to like ask for help, um, to have, we had to have people in our house all the time for the first few months. Um, when my husband went back to work Mm. because I wasn't able to care for them by myself because it was just so difficult to get them both fed and all of that. So it, you know, when people are in your house, you can't really process things either. Yeah. Um, so finally, you know, I got to the point where I could care for them by myself and we have people here way less often now. Um, but yeah, it was a huge transition, very hard on like mental health, uh, because of just like the sleeplessness and then you have two babies and all of those relationship changes and everything is, is really hard, but it's, you know, everything is figure outable. You can, you can work through it. It's just making sure you get the right the right resources and the right help. Yeah, I think that's kind of a resounding theme of our episode last week on the show. It's like um, my episode I did with Lisa Graft, it was like you you have to ask for help because more than likely, I, I, I always look at these people who get a lot of help and I'm like, who are these angels that just appear in their homes and help them? <laughs> and I'm like, more than likely, those people like asked for that help or that, you know. So I think that that's such a huge message to any parent out there, because especially in those newborn months, it's like, you don't even realize that you're kind of just totally underwater until you, like you said, you, you're processing it now. Like you look back to what your life was even five months ago, I'm sure. And you're like, Whoa, how did I even do that? But you have to ask for help. Yeah. And it's hard, especially like if you are a very independent person who maybe didn't need a whole lot of help before, the kind of help you have to ask for when you have kids is totally different. Hey friends, a quick break here to share with you a little bit about Indie Maven. I know we have listeners all over the country and world, but I want to share with you a little bit about something special in my own community in Indianapolis. Do you wish you could be as knowledgeable about what's happening in Indianapolis as you were before things got busy with your career, kids, family, friends? Are you looking to get more engaged and active in your city through the best recommendations ever? Indie Maven is a community that connects women in Indianapolis and its surrounding neighborhoods through captivating and rich storytelling, crazy fun events, and best of all, an audience of highly engaged, badass women. 
To learn more about Indies Happenings, the trailblazing women making it all happen, and to start making a difference in your community, join the Maven movement. Go to IndieMaven.com to sign up for their free newsletter, learn about upcoming events, and join their membership program for perks valued at thousands of dollars from local businesses. I am a member of Indie Maven myself, and I love seeing what these ladies are doing for the Indianapolis community. I highly recommend checking them out. All right, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Zoe Hoffman. This is a good transition though, Zoe. Um, Awesome. Yeah, because what Zoe does is she has a tutoring service and she's, like she said earlier, has been doing this well before the pandemic. So um, we're going to talk about the a couple different things that you're passionate about. And one that I want to start with for sure is goal setting with your kids. So let's go ahead and just start there. I'm a goal setter myself and I would love to start implementing this in my kid's life, but I'm not really great at doing it yet. So let's start there. Yeah. So I am also a goal setter and especially like personal life, business life have always set goals. Um, and then I started to realize that this is something that could be life changing for kids too. So, you know, we talk a lot about growth mindset, um, in the parenting and education world, um, getting kids to where they feel like they can work hard at something and fail and continue to work hard at it until they get it right. Um, and I think goal setting is kind of the great window into that. So, um, Goal setting with your kids can help them kind of feel like they have control over something, right? Because so much of childhood is like not having control because everybody's telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So giving them a little piece of that control and helping them to learn how to decide what they want and then make the steps to get there um, can be really life-changing for them, especially academically. Um, So deciding kind of what they want to achieve and then deciding how they're going to get there um, can be something that once you do it with them a few times, they learn how to do it on their own and it becomes how they think about school. I think I started bringing this up like maybe a month ago with with my kids. I was like, what are your goals for the year? Like, what do you really want to do this year? And, um, you know, it was super casual and I forget what, what they said at first, but then it led to like, I want to go camping this summer. Okay. That was their goal. Um, and then I, I kind of like, was like, that's awesome. Like, I think that's a great family goal to put that on our list of things we want to do. Well, let's go camping. I'll stay at home and you and dad and the boys, other boys go camping. No, but then I like, I, I wanted to get down to the nitty gritty of it. Like I wanted to see him, I'm talking about my eight-year-old, really think of some things he wanted to accomplish that he could be proud of, but I didn't know how to facilitate that. So can you give us some ways that we could help facilitate so that we're not like saying you should want to do this or whatever? Yeah. So, and I love how you just mentioned, you don't want to be like, you should do this, right? Because the big first thing that I tell parents, um, and I did a video about this, we were talking about it. 
um, of like mistakes you make when you're goal setting with your kids is don't make it about what you want. Mm -hmm. You have to make it about what they want. Um, And that can be kind of hard because maybe they've never really thought about what they want before because they are so busy thinking about what their parents want and what their teachers want, um, what their friends want. So especially if they're a kid like me, I was a very people pleasery Mm -hmm. type of kid. Um, So it's usually good when you're first teaching your kids how to set goals is to actually like sit down with them with a piece of paper and do some brainstorming. So maybe if you're, I'm just going to focus on academic goals um, for the sake of the conversation. So um, if you're looking at grades and you're like, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish at school this, this quarter? Um, And maybe they say like, I want to learn better math. And so they're kind of brainstorming through some things that they want to accomplish. Then as a parent, it's good. Or like the next thing you need to do is help them kind of tease out what exactly they want. So like saying, I want to get better at math. You say like, what, what does that mean? Like, mm-hmm. how will you know when you're better at math? Um, and it, that might lead to them saying, well, I want to get a better grade in math. And so something that is like measurable is what you're trying to pull out. Okay. Um, or like if they were like, I want to get better at soccer and say like, well, what does that mean? Like, what do you want to get better at? And if it's, you know, like, I want to be able to score more goals or, you know, something usually comes out that's a little bit more measurable. Um, and as the parent, cause you're kind of acting as a coach, right? Cause you're again, trying not to impose your own will on your child. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to pick out, help them kind of pick out something that's something that's going to be a stretch for them, but that's re- attainable. And then also something that they can measure. Um, and so I always tell parents to kind of focus on that whole smart goal thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, where it's measurable and actionable and timely, um, and once they pick out what they want to do um, or accomplish, then you can kind of help them write down that goal and then think through the action steps that they need to get there. So for like the kid who wants to improve their math grade, they may say, well, I don't turn in my math homework all the time. So maybe one of those things is I need to make sure I turn in my math homework every day. Um, Or, you know, I need to study for 30 minutes twice a week so that I can do well on my tests. Um, This is where I, when I'm setting goals with kids, I make more suggestions. So like during that brainstorming period of time, you're just kind of listening. But then the action steps, sometimes kids need Mm -hmm. help kind of, pulling those out um, or even just thinking about like, why do I have a bad grade in math? Um, And then from there, so you have that goal set, you have those action steps set. um, That's not where you leave it, right? So your child has made this goal. Then you need to check back in with them. So checking back in with them frequently and making it not like a nagging conversation, um, where you're like, well, how's your math grade? Um, but just, you know, how do you feel like you're doing on on your goal? Um, what do you feel like you did really well this week? What do you feel like you could improve next week to make sure you get to where you're wanting to go by the end of the quarter? Um, and kind of like making them feel like you're on their side, but 
that they're also kind of accountable to somebody um, can be really helpful. And you can do this in like a very small way. So you could do it for like a two week period of time Mm. um, to start out with. Or if you feel like your child can handle it, you could do it for a whole quarter. Um, But just kind of practicing it is probably the best way to help your child learn how to set those goals. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what the best approach as far as like how I approach it with my eight-year-old specifically. He gets very like, I don't know, he doesn't want to like talk about anything serious or, you know, he's like, why do you keep saying that? And one of the tips I, I saw you had was like mark it on your calendar. So like Wednesday at four, I know I'm going to mm-hmm. talk to him about this. And I wonder if it's, and, and to hold myself accountable as well, I wonder if it's the kind of thing where like, I, I need it on my calendar. I need to know on Wednesdays or every other Wednesday, you know, an hour after he gets home from school. So he's not bombarded, something like that, that I am going to kind of like casually bring it up and not, you know, sit down and make it this business meeting. Because I think when I try to do that, he thinks like, what, what's going on here? So it's like, I need to be the scheduled organized person and and hold myself accountable but then make it more casual for him yeah and it probably it totally depends on what kind of kid totally yeah some kids want to know that that conversation is coming yeah um so that they don't get caught off guard by it and then some other kids maybe don't need to know when that conversation is coming and maybe it comes when you're when they're sitting down and eating their snack and you're just kind of chatting yeah um I totally agree and but like kind of having that in your calendar will at least remind you like okay I need to do this and especially if it's something that maybe you're not looking forward to doing yeah um or, you know, it's hard for you because you haven't done it before. Um, I think it's great to put it in your calendar. Well, yeah. And it's it's one of those things in parenting where it's like, you know, we both said we like to have goals ourselves. I'm not the best goal setter for myself. Like, I think that I could probably come up with a better plan. But if those are the kind of things that we want to do as adults, we need to be setting our kids up for that kind of success when they're little. And because I'm, I'm so, I so much are just like, go play. And I, I'm so for that carefree childhood. But I know that I'm getting to the point, especially with my oldest two, that like these like lifelong values that I want to instill in my kid's life, like I need to kind of just have these conversations, casual or not, they need to happen if at 18, 22, 32, 42, I want my kid to continue living that way. Oh, exactly. And um, it's something that you teach them. And then, like you said, it it affects them for the rest of their life. Um, And sometimes, too, like it might happen naturally. Like if they're saying that they want to do something like I I wish I could do a rainbow kick for, you know, soccer or whatever, Um, like jumping on that opportunity and saying, hey, like, I bet you could do that. Why don't we plan it out? I want to talk about too, when, you know, you said as a kid, you had a hard time learning until you figured out the the way that worked best for you. So when you have a kid come to your service, like how do you evaluate them to know what style of tutoring or teaching they might need? So um, it's very casual. So basically I usually will get on the phone with the parent. Um, On our website, there is a a form that you can fill out to schedule a 
a call with me. Um, and I just kind of talk with the parent about what's been going on, what experiences that child has had, what they're worried about, what has brought them to tutoring. Um, because usually it's, you know, there's a story there. Um, whether, you know, the kid has had a hard time for their whole school career, or maybe it's like a new thing this year. Um, and so I kind of get that story. And then I also get from the parents like, well, what works for your child? What kinds of personalities do they, you know, respond well to? Um, is there a certain type of way they like to learn or that they've responded well to in the past? Um, and then I match them with a tutor that I think can help them um, because of their uh, experience. Um, you know, maybe they need a math tutor. So, you know, getting someone who has a lot of experience in math, um, who's a math, was a math teacher. Um, and then, you know, who I think would match with their learning style and their personality. Um, and from there, because we bring on tutors who are educators, so they have education degrees, they have teaching certificates, they are able to kind of meet with that child, see what's going on with them, see how they learn best and cater the tutoring session to that child. Um, because of their experience as a teacher, um, they are prepared to kind of, we call it differentiation, um, you know, cater to what that specific child needs. So do your tutors, they have to have been teachers or they have to have a teaching degree? Correct. Oh, wow. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about, especially because we work with younger students, mm. so K through eighth grade. Um, just because you're good at math doesn't mean you're going to be a good math tutor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want them to have experience teaching um, and have had all of that education as well, um, because it, to me, it's very valuable in being able to cater to specific needs. Um like, again, if you're just really good at math, you may not understand why someone doesn't get the math that they're trying to do. Whereas a teacher has thought through that that learning trajectory um, and knows how to meet a kid where they are. Which is why this year has been one of the reasons this year has been so frustrating for so many parents because our kids have been virtual learning and then we're trying to explain homework and help them with homework side by side. And we're not trained to walk through that. Like you just said, like when my son doesn't understand his math and I'm struggling to understand some of the things <laughs> he's only in second grade, but just some of the processes they use now, like Mm -hmm. everything changes how they teach math now is different than than how it was taught when I was in school obviously and when I try to walk it through with him like I don't understand why he's not understanding it and how to like get through um get through it and and in my experience this past year my only child in school school he's in second grade my other one is in kindergarten so that's that's kind of more play-based stuff really Right. Um, but my second grader, it's like he gets so frustrated when he can't understand how to do a problem. And then your parent is the person that you're most comfortable with. So, of course, you're going to be like angry when they try to help and it doesn't work. Um, and then I don't know about anybody else listening, but I would have the my, my son would be like, well, you know, it's your fault if I don't get it right. You know, <laughs> you throw in that line at me and I, you know, that's. That's when you jump in and you try to teach them like it's his responsibility. But anyway, my point with all that is 
I'm, I'm assuming you would suggest if you are have if parents are having those troubles, they should bring on a third party to facilitate those lessons that aren't coming together so well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it depends on the situation, but I, I about 50%, probably more parents that come to us at some point when we're talking, they say, well, why, why will they do this for their tutor and they won't do it for me? Right. And I say, well, because the tutor's not their mom right. or their dad or their brother, you know? So um, just having that third party can really help your child. Like that tutor or that person who's helping your child can also hold them accountable to their goals or, you know, can speak into them like, hey, I see that you learn really well doing it this way, whereas maybe they wouldn't listen to you as the parent saying the same exact thing. Um, So a third party can be really helpful, especially a third party who is trained in whatever, you know, your child is struggling in. Um, And like there's all kinds of different people that you could call in depending on what your child needs. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about grades with kids. Uh, We were talking offline before this and I said, we get report cards, but I don't even know if I can check my kids' grades online. I'm kind of like spacey in the head with that stuff. But then you told me that's good. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think you should be checking your kids' grades online. Um, So let's talk about grades a little bit and how we communicate with our kids about their grades. Yeah. So I think that it's good that you don't check your child's grades. I think, you know, there are different situations and if your child is struggling um, and you're working through something, you know, it's probably good to check the grades. But if your child is doing fine, um, you know, maybe they don't have straight A's, but they're doing okay. Like you don't need to check the grades necessarily. And I see a lot of kids and parents start to become really frustrated with each other when the conversations are always about grades. the parent is checking that that grade site all the time and the kid maybe too and then they're having fights about well I saw you had a missing assignment and your grade's not good enough in this or um, you know conversations that end up becoming more frustrating making your kid less motivated to do what they need to in school and then there's no productivity there Um, so I always tell parents if they want to talk to their kids about grades it needs to be productive So if you are going to check the grade site or the grade portal, I don't know what everybody calls it, um, only doing it like once or twice a week on a day where your child sits down with you um, if you're looking at grades that often and they know that conversation's coming um, and talking again about goals or productive, you know, action steps instead of just harping on your child about their grades. Because how demoralizing is that? Um, Like if you were to go into a work meeting and someone just tells you everything that they see that you're doing wrong. Oh, gosh. um, Like I try to think about it like that because, I mean, I sit in meetings with kids just like me and you are sitting in a meeting and, you know, talk to them about their grades. But if I only harp on the things that I'm seeing that are wrong – How terrible is that? So kind of meeting with your child and saying, like, I see that you're doing really well on these things. Now let's talk about what's going on with these things. Like, how can I help you? Or what is a goal that you could set to, like, get to where you want to go? What are some action steps you need to take? Um, 
to improve this grade. Like maybe your family has values and rules around what specific grade your child needs to get. Um, so help your child get there um, by making them think through like, oh, I have a lot of missing assignments. I need to turn all of those in. Um, and then also when thinking about grades, try to let your child do as much as possible. So if your child is one of those kids who has a million missing assignments and they need to talk to the teacher about it, you don't email the teacher, help your child email the teacher or role play with them how they're going to talk to the teacher about their grade. Um, so putting more of the responsibility on your child instead of kind of shouldering it yourself. Wow. I'm sure a lot of teachers would really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's way easier said than done. I'm sure. That. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the more you can give your child practice with that, just like we were talking about with the goal setting, you know, it's going to help them when they're 18 and 22 and 42. Um, learning how to talk to other adult or other people and adults about things that they need to get done is really a valuable lesson. Yeah, it's like this fine balance, too, with the, the teacher relationship. It's like you want to give your kids' teachers all, all the support you possibly can. And at the same time, you also want to make sure you're you're keeping your distance, COVID aside, um, to <laughs> in like space to um, let the teacher do their job and not be intrusive, you know? Um, I imagine there are some pretty overbearing parents out there for, for teachers. I mean, I remember growing up, friends' parents who would like do science, the science projects basically like for their kids. The My friend, I remember one friend, she would be like, we were up till one in the morning doing this project. I'm like, what do you mean we? Your mom was sitting on the floor with you till one in the morning doing your project with you? Oh my goodness. My parents would not have done that. No. And so I think that that's another good um, talking point though, is like making sure that like we're giving our kids the responsibility um, to do their own work because it, it could be easy when your kid is asking you questions and you, you just want them to finish. So your whole family can move on with your night to just jump in there and like, be like, Hey, it's just this, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, and there's a lot of, like, I mean, I feel like dealing with families and education, there's so much psychology in it. Yeah. But you have your own fears and your own anxieties and all of that. And all of that can drive you to feel like you just need to give that little bit of extra help. And sometimes you do need to do that, but sometimes you need to step back. And maybe if they didn't do their science project until the night before, let them have some of those natural consequences. Yeah. Um, because then you're, you're sparing yourself maybe having that same crisis next year. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I wanted to touch on too, when, when we were talking about checking the grades, um, Zoe was talking about the, I guess, I don't even know this because I don't think my school has this where my kids go, but there's grade portals where parents can literally just log in anytime and check assignments and grades. Like as far as I know, we get report cards in the mail like every quarter. That's all I know about my kids' grades. I know they're still young, um, but we're at a Reggio-based school. So I think grades are definitely um, not as emphasized <laughs> at this school. Um, which doesn't really bother me. I think that my husband would like it to be a little bit more strict with grades. But um, yeah, you were talking about those portals. 
Yeah. And, you know, they can be a really great tool because being able to see maybe if your child is getting so far behind that they're never going to be able to catch up is a good thing. Sure. Um, But then checking it as often as you check social media is a bad thing Um, and can like create a lot of stress for you as the parent. And then you end up stressing your kid out and causing a lot of, you know, conflict because the grade portal is getting checked all the time. Um, Instead of just kind of having those one or two conversations a week where we say, yeah, we want to keep on top of things um, versus like your child gets in the car and you're immediately talking to them about how you saw that they have a missing assignment um, and they're feeling kind of bombarded by you. Like you're talking about your son, you know, and, and not wanting those serious conversations. Um, so, and, and you can just let it stress you out where you're looking at it all the time. Um, and I know a lot of teachers too, um, feel the same way about the grade portal because maybe they put the assignment in, but maybe they haven't graded it yet. Yeah. Parents are, (laughs) parents are on them. Um, you know, why does my kid have a zero in this? And, um, I have a, a friend, um, who owns like an education advocacy company and is also a teacher. And she was saying, you know, on a normal time, you need to give a a teacher like a couple weeks to grade an assignment. And like now with the pandemic, you need to add one or two weeks onto that because they're just kind of underwater and they're doing the best that they can. Yeah. Did you see an influx and need for your tutoring services with the pandemic? Um, We have seen some influx. Um, So kids who are just kind of needing a little bit of extra help, especially with the online and the teacher not being able to um, like cater to them in the way that they would be able to in the classroom. Um, You know, so we have seen some kids come in who just need a little bit of extra help um, to make sure that they're on top of the subjects that they're supposed to learn this year. Um, And it's nice because online, we can still keep our distance because of COVID. You don't have to worry about somebody coming in your house. Um, And then also they can see and log into all of their online schooling stuff with their tutor on the computer. So they can do it together um, without, you know, having to have you know, when you see an in-person tutor, sometimes you have to sit next to each other, like at the same tiny computer and things like that. Yeah. I guess my only question is, and I wonder if you had anybody struggling with this is that, you know, one of my biggest things with the pandemic was that I was like, I got to get these kids off the iPads. I mean, I Uh said this so many times and I, you know, being dramatic, but I'm like, these iPads are ruining our family because anytime they weren't on school, they would hop over to YouTube or PBS and try to watch a show. Like the second they had a break, they would just stay on the iPad and just do something else, like a video game or whatever, which is crazy to me that those, like YouTube is even accessible on um, the school iPad. I couldn't figure out how to even get it off because some of the teachers were doing their lessons on YouTube. Um And, you know, we're trying to work. So like every second they have a break, we're not maybe right next to them. So my only fear in like hiring a tutor during that time that's online would be like, oh, my gosh, the last thing I want is my kid to be behind a screen for one more minute. Have you had parents that have come to you with that worry? Yeah, a lot of parents have that concern. 
Um, so it's like, my kid is getting so much screen time already. And I don't know if that's the best thing for them. And, you know, like I always encourage people online tutoring is not the best option for all kids. Like there are some kids who don't respond to it and like, we're not going to, that's why we do trial sessions and things like that. So that, you know, you're not sinking money into something that isn't going to work for your kid. Um, and so like, if you, if that's something that you feel like isn't working for your child, then maybe online tutoring isn't a great option. Um, On the other hand, you know, scheduling that tutor during kind of those school hours um, in a time where maybe your child is supposed to be working by themselves or they're supposed to be doing homework. Yeah. um, And kind of utilizing that time where they would have been on the computer anyway. um, And now they're just meeting with someone who's able to sit with them and help them um, and maybe even give them some extra practice and kind of help them fill in some gaps along the way. can be helpful because then maybe it's taking a period of time where you would have had to be sitting next to them and doing that. Um, and instead just having a third party come in and and do that with them. Um, but it's such a valid concern, like so much screen time. It's insane. It is. Um, and I, it makes my eyeballs hurt just thinking about how much time kids are expected to be online right now. Um, and it's just, it has to be kind of an evaluation of what your child needs. Yeah, I like that idea. Like when the kids are virtual learning on those breaks, scheduling it, and then now my kids are back at school. So it's a little bit different. I know my kindergartner is like really not on his iPad much at all at school, which is great. But I know it's like we tried so hard in our family to, we watch, they watch a lot of TV. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that, but we've tried really hard to like not have the, the iPads and things like that in their face constantly. Like when we took them on stroller runs or car rides or go to restaurants, like we, they did not have iPads. They did not have cell phones or anything like that in their face. They would play with normal kid toys and <laughs> or so the straw wrappers. Yes. And like, I mean, I feel very like proud of myself that I didn't give into that for like eight years you know and then these iPads appeared (laughs) at our homes when we went virtual and it's like it's an addiction like you put that thing in front of them and they need it for school um and then it's this constant thing it's still here on the weekends. so what we do is they're put away on the weekends now and like over Christmas break and stuff like they're hidden from everybody nobody can touch them and part of me is like am I being a freak about this but I see the shift in behavior so dramatically when um when it it becomes too much um and and during this 2020 year it was always too much because they had to be on it for school. And then there's just times when you're not physically present and they're on it again, you know? And so, oh, anyway, it's been tough. But I think in normal times, pandemic aside, it's genius to do the online because you don't have one more place to go. One more place to taxi your kid. Your kid could sit in the dining room and do their 30-minute tutor lesson while you're doing something else with your other kids. So, um, you know, this is just extenuating circumstances this year. So, yeah, when I had asked if there was an influx, I was thinking, well, maybe not because maybe people were like, I need my kid off the computer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we've had had 
lots of people who come and say, this is a great way to do this. You know, they're already on the computer anyway. And then other people who decide, you know, this is going to be too much screen time. Yeah. Um, and I agree, like screen time is just not a great way to spend time if you can help it. So I have some of the same philosophies as you do, even though mine are tiny still, um, trying to keep those screens away. Yeah. Sorry for the rant, everybody. Clearly, I'm very passionate <laughs> about this. I mean, you should see me screaming in my kitchen. These iPads are ruining our lives. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty dramatic. Um, okay. So lastly, let's just talk about a couple tips for ways as parents when we are the person helping with the homework that we can do it with the least frustration as possible. Yeah. This one's a hard one. I know everybody fights about homework. So if I were to give just a couple of actionable tips that could help you today, number one is to know your resources ahead of time. So thinking about the places that you can go to get help if your child needs help with it and maybe you don't know the answer. Yes. So (laughs) like math right? That's a big one for everybody. Um, so things like Khan Academy, or maybe your the teacher has some resources listed on their website, or there's like the book online, or there's videos that you can watch. Find the resources that you like, and like maybe have a Word document or a Google Doc, somewhere where you keep all the resources. So you're not spending time like racking your brain, like where can I find this information? Or maybe even having on there like people you can call, like Uncle Dave, who's really great at math. Um, And then if your child is older too, like you can just refer them to that list and say, okay, figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, here's the list and you can figure out how you're going to find this information. Um, And then second, like the thing that I love to tell parents to do is have like a station, a homework station. Um, So I have all kinds of content about like how to um, help your kids set up a learning area. But the biggest thing is to get a bucket or a shower caddy or something and put all the supplies that your child might need for homework in that area so that they're not getting distracted by, you know, having to gather things for what they need to do. Um, and it kind of keeps you out of the equation because mm-hmm. they're not asking you for stuff all mm-hmm. the time. Um, <laughs> and then also, so like the last thing, and this is kind of, I've had parents be like, what? Like you would do this? Um, just know when to stop. Yeah. So sometimes you get to a point where your child's in tears or you're in tears Um, or, you know, super frustrated and your child is not understanding it. They've spent so long on this homework and they're just not getting it. Just quit and email the teacher. This is when I am fine with emailing the teacher and saying, (laughs) (laughs) you know, here is what we had trouble with. You know, if you could talk to them or, you know, I don't know what we need to do to help, but we stopped the homework because it was becoming an issue. Um, the teacher will appreciate the communication. I mean, don't just send your kid to school with the homework not done and say like, well, you know, whatever. Um, Communicate with the teacher about why that didn't work. Um, And then, you know, hopefully they will give you 
some resources or give your child some guidance. Um, because letting homework become like a big stressful thing, because maybe that stressful event happens. And then the next time it's time to do homework, your mm. child is like already on edge yeah, and it becomes worse and worse and worse. And then the homework is just a battle every night. Or even if it's just taking too long and your child is going to be sacrificing sleep, um, get them the sleep over yeah. the homework. Um, so kind of knowing when to, to call it quits is probably my number one, um, suggestion for parents that seems a little bit counterintuitive because I, I know a lot of us were, were raised in like, you must get it done. Um, you cannot say no, that you're not going to do it, but you know, sometimes you just got to walk away. I love that tip too. I mean, that's so relevant to life right now too. I, I feel like there was this surge in hustle culture, you know, for so long, right? Um, I just tweeted this the other day. I said, you don't have to keep up. You do you. And I really meant that wholeheartedly because there is this like mentality, like, you know, you can do more, you can do more. But we all know that we're better the next day if we shut it off, go to Mm -hmm. bed. Usually when I do that and then I wake up at like 5.30, if I can power through 30 minutes of work at 5.30 in the morning, that 30 minutes is so much more productive than anything I'm going to do at 10 p.m. And that's the same for our kids. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's hard to remember when you're in that moment um, and everybody's melting down, but it's so true. And they they did school all day long. Yeah. Maybe they had a hard day. You know, even even having that conversation with your child, maybe they had such a hard day that it's making concentrating on their schoolwork impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of just viewing things through that lens of, is this going to be productive and are they going to learn something from it versus we just need to get it done? You know, I'm so conflicted about homework because I'm like, what is that teaching our kids? I'm like, we don't want to teach. I don't want to teach my kids that I'm going to go to work all day and then I'm going to work more at night, you know? So it's like they go to school for like six, seven hours and then they come home and they're like, but you need to work more. It's like, I, I guess I understand why it's important, but I think if I was in a school system that was assigning so much homework that my kid, even if he's like 12, 13, had to do two hours of it a night or something like that, I would definitely reconsider where we're going to school. Yeah, I I have conflicting feelings about homework as well. It's really beneficial if the homework is curated to make sure that your child is getting practiced or thinking about the things they need to think about for the next day. Yeah. Um, because it can also give you as the parent a window into kind of how well they're doing because um, you're seeing them do it, mm-hmm. you know, and you're having to help them sometimes. Um, and it gives the teacher a window into how well they can do it on their own. Um, but sometimes homework is just busy work. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. If it, it needs to be, yes, it needs to be um, productive. Like you, like you said with the goal setting or what, what were we talking about? Um, we were talking about productivity, like w- the conversation, like a conversation about grades. It needs to be a yeah. productive conversation. You can't just, you know, say, why didn't you you turn this in? Why didn't you do this? If it's not going to be productive, let's think about why we're bringing it up. So let's think about why we're doing this homework. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as an educator, I could do a whole podcast episode on homework. Just now because... I want to do that. <laughs> I know. Maybe we should. We'll, we'll schedule it. Yeah, we'll but schedule another one. Like, 
Yeah, it's just, you know, homework has a place, but it's not always the place that we've given it. And I, I mean, you could get into American culture and all of that and how that's contributed to the what we do as far sure. as homework. Um, but really great teachers will only give your child practice that is needed unless there's school policies that make them do something different. Wow. Man, I'm entering a whole new ball game right now with a second grader. You know, like, I feel like this is really our first year where I'm like, okay, this is really school. Would you say, what grade would you say that it like really starts feeling like that? Around second or third grade, usually third grade or fourth grade is when kids, we see the most kids come into tutoring around third grade. Okay. And then again, around like seventh grade. Yeah. Because those are like the years where things get really real. You know, it's been all fun and games and now here we are. Real life is really starting. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, this has been great. And we are going to link to your tutoring services and I am going to keep them in mind for if we ever have these frustrating homework um, conversations at home. I seriously, we don't even have homework right now. So, and I, and I know friends in other school systems whose second graders have lots of homework. So I'm thankful for that, but my, my son just says he gets it all done during the school day and I believe him. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being, um, gullible. Maybe I'm being gullible. I don't know, but I believe him. (laughs) I mean, if that catches up with him, then that'll be a great, a great conversation that can be had. That's right. I love it. Well, let's, let's wrap up with some end of the podcast questions that I always ask my guests. Uh, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, so I read, and I'm going to look because the the title is very long. So my favorite book that I've read recently is The Happiest Kids in the World, How Dutch Parents Help Their Kids and Themselves. Nice. Um, I don't know if you read that one, but it was very eye-opening as far as the way that we think about things as Americans mm. in parenting um, versus kind of how people in other parts of the world think about parenting. Um, and it really got me thinking, man, it's so important to look outside of what your little world is. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, we're just this one tiny blip of an entire world. What was your biggest takeaway from that book? Um, I, my biggest takeaway was just to worry less Mm. and do less. Okay. Um, you know, I think especially now with social media, we've gotten to where we want to do everything big, Mm -hmm. like birthday parties and everything. Um, Whereas in a lot of different places or different cultures, maybe we just, they don't do that. And it's not something that might be worth stressing over. Um, So thinking about the things that I'm stressing over and whether they really need to be stressed over was kind of my biggest takeaway. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's like before social media, who knew that first birthday parties were this like big extravaganza. Yeah. I had no idea. I was just talking to my dad about that. I was like, I don't understand, <laughs> but it's a thing now. Well, I mean, you guys all have an out that are walking through coming to first birthday parties in a pandemic because it's not like you're going to invite 50 people to a birthday party right now. COVID gives a really good out for a lot of <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I remember um, my, so I am not a Pinterest mom at all. I'm just not organized like that. That's not who I am. Um, it's all very pretty though. But I remember my son's first birthday. I was like, oh, 
I want to make this a big deal. And I had this like, you know, I knew all my husband's sisters would all think it was a big deal. It was his first, the first birthday party. And, um, I was so overwhelmed the Friday before the party. I'm home. I was home with him. Um, and yeah. I was going to make the cake myself. I was going to do all the things. And I was like nearly in tears. And my husband on Friday morning was like, I took the day off to help you. And it was like Aww. the best thing ever. But now looking back, I'm like, I can't believe he took the day off work just so I could prepare <laughs> for my one kid's one year old birthday party. And now, you know, now when any kid, we've got four of them now, when anybody has a birthday, we order the cake from our favorite bakery and we invite our closest neighbor friends over whatever day the birthday is. So we don't wait for like Saturday to have a big party. It's like if the birthday's on a Thursday, guess what? At four o'clock after school, our three closest neighbor friends are coming over and that's how we're celebrating the birthday and I'm not making the cake. That's great. <laughs> right? But yeah, the Pinterest thing, it, Instagram is worse than Pinterest, mm-hmm. I'd say, in today's culture. For oh, sure. for sure. So what are you going to do for the first birthday? <laughs> I have no idea. I think we're just going to get a cake and be happy that we made it to the first year. That's awesome. <laughs> Start thinking about when you have to deal with them trying to walk everywhere. Oh my gosh, they're already getting way mobile and it's Are they crawling? It's a lot. They're no, but they're like scooting uh-huh. and they're very fast. Yeah. You're like, how did you get <laughs> to the other side of the room by doing that? Exactly. My parents are here visiting and they've been helping me get things baby proofed because uh-huh. it is fast and furious. Oh. With two of them? I can't imagine. Yeah. Our I fenced in our whole living room and it's become a baby area, which yeah. is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Do you have, I mean, I know your kids are only seven months, but do you have any favorite kids books that you recommend? Yeah. Well, so one of our favorites right now is, um, called Shh, We Have a Plan mm. by Chris Houghton, I think is the author's name. Okay. And it's really, really cute. And we like to read it, um, to the twins during their bedtime. Okay. I've never heard of that. What is something like a goal or something that you haven't accomplished yet, either in your profession or as a family that you still like to do? Um, so in my profession, I would love to start a podcast. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, because I just I love giving tips and talking about education and helping parents. Um, it's not something that I can do in this season of life, um, but I have my eye on it that hopefully maybe one day I can, can do that. I love that you just acknowledge, like, I want to do that, but right now is not the right time. And that's totally okay. Yeah. It's hard because it I'm a kind of person that wants to do all the things. Yeah. But yeah, probably not going to happen for yeah. a few more years. Um, What is your big message that you want to leave with our audience today? Um, So you are the best parent for your child and you are able to help them. But if you are struggling or you're having a lot of fights with your child, it's totally okay to reach out for help, whether that's a tutor or to their teacher or principal or just other parents that might be able to help. Um, So don't be, you know, we talked a lot about reaching out for help in different areas of parenting. So don't be afraid to reach out for help um, and, you know, try to make all of those conversations that you're having with your child as productive as you can. Um, it won't be perfect, but at least you can try. I love it. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. Remember that. No. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you. This was so fun. 
Hey friends, thanks so much for listening today. Thank you, Zoe, for coming on the podcast. I'm sure there are many parents walking away feeling empowered to help their kids with their homework and also maybe set some goals. Don't forget to check out Zoe Hoffman.tutoring.group over on Instagram, HoffmanTutoringGroup.com. If you want to check out their website and see what they have to offer, you can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? You can find me personally on Instagram. I am LindsayHine626. I'm also on Twitter at LindsayHine, and we have a Facebook group for this podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? Check it out and come connect with the community over there. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving this new podcast, still feels new to me, a shot. And share it with your friends if you are enjoying it. And I will look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great rest of your day.